You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I feel to preach today uh, probably a simple word, nothing extravagant, uh, but uh, there is a an element to this message that I couldn't get away from, and uh, I want to just try to share a simple thought today. There's a story I read earlier this year, uh, came across, it was about a 64-year-old manager at a defense contract uh, manufacturer, a defense manufacturer in, in France, and he had... Uh, no experience flying uh, in a fighter jet, nor had he ever expressed desire to fly in a fighter jet. But when his colleagues surprised him with the gift of being a passenger in a military jet, he felt like he could not say no. They had obtained special permission from the French government, and he knew they went to great lengths to set this up, and so he didn't want to be rude, but he was terrified. And the gift was sprung on him the very morning that he was going to fly, they had scheduled to fly. And so he had just a few hours to mentally prepare himself. A doctor performed a medical examination, which typically happens 10 days before you fly, but this was just four hours before takeoff. The man listened, he was stressed, he was confused, and during a safety briefing, He was informed about different elements in the cockpit, including the ejector switch and all of those kind of things. His heart was racing as he got in the cockpit. His smartwatch recorded 136 to 142 beats a minute just sitting there. And he was so nervous, he forgot to check some of his safety equipment, and then soon enough, they were taking off, piloted by a veteran French military pilot who had more than 2,000 hours of flying time. And as the pilot leveled off and the plane was subjected to negative gravitational pull, he had this feeling that he was upside down. And so he was reaching for something to hold on to. But what he grabbed was the ejector handle. And he was, of course, flung into the air. You can look it up after church. 
Somehow he survived. His parachute deployed. He landed in a field, sustaining minor injuries that required him to be taken to a hospital. Thankfully, the, there was another malfunction on the plane because I guess when the ejector switch is pulled, both pilots are supposed to be ejected. <laughs> But only one was ejected, and the pilot was able to land the plane safely. There are a lot of things we can consider about this story. I'm fascinated by a man, I don't, I don't know which way I'd go, but a man who didn't speak up for himself. There's, there's that element. He didn't speak up for himself. But what I want to focus on in this illustration is the fact that how much his friends didn't know him. His colleagues, those who had worked with him, some maybe for a long time, did not know him. They had known him, they wouldn't have gifted him with a military flight that turned into an ejection. And I think about the people around me, I hope that the people who are influencing my life, I hope that they know me. I hope they know me enough to do what's best and to promote what's best in my life. You ever played that newlywed game where you ask them what their favorite color is or what their favorite food is and try to guess? It'd be fun to play that here this morning, but... I, I, I hope that Kristen wouldn't sign me up for something that uh, I really didn't want to do, and I hope I would have the courage to speak up if she did. But I, I want to speak this morning and offer a thought titled, I Hope You Know. I Hope That You Know. And the first thing that I hope you know is that God knows you. I hope you know that today. That God knows you. Psalm chapter 139, the passage that we go to for this particular thought often. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. That's not an insignificant thing to say, that God knows you. He said, you know my sitting down, you know my rising up, you understand my thought far off. That can be a scary thing to think about, that God knows your thoughts. Yeah. You glad your friends don't know your thoughts? <laughs> Spouse doesn't know your thoughts? 
You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before you laid your hand on me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence if I ascend to heaven? You are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Yeah, I think it's important for you to know that God knows you. He knows your frame. He knows your direction. He knows your decisions. He knows your motivations. He knows your thoughts. No matter where you go, He knows. Even your hand, he said, shall lead me. Surely, in verse 11, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light upon me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Somebody needs to hear that. In the middle of your darkness, God knows you. God knows right where you're at. In the middle of darkness because of tragedy, God knows where you are at. And might I add, in darkness due to sin and failure and depravity, God knows right where you are. God knows you. I hope you know that today. I hope you realize that. He said the darkness and the light are both alike to you. He said, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well that my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God knows you. Jesus would say, if I know that the sparrow falls, if I'm keeping account of the sparrows and the birds, saw a squirrel today that escaped death. (laughs) Have you ever seen that? Driving in that squirrel, the hand of God was on that squirrel. I am telling you, he was under that, the minivan that was coming the opposite direction. He was going, and I don't know how he, how he missed it, but God was watching him. And had he been killed, God would have known. And Jesus said, if I know the sparrows, 
I know you. And I know how many hairs are on your head. What I hope you know today is that even what God knows of you, God still loves you. Think about it. He knows all of that stuff. And yet he still loves you. I hope you know that today. Not only does God know us and love us, and let me get to the point that I feel most compelled to speak on today. Not only does God know us and love us, but I hope you know that God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Because we can view God as a God who knows us, but not realize how much God wants you to know him. Over the last few weeks in Growth University, we've been working through the tabernacle of Moses. I encourage you, if you can be a part of that, we've still got a few weeks left. It's on Wednesday nights at 7.30. We've been looking at how God created a way for his people to experience his presence. When we see the tabernacle plan, this place that God had his people build, it's not only a place that God takes notice of us in, but he looked for a way for people to know him. I think when you consider the tabernacle, I think it's important for us to know that the tabernacle was not the image of God. It was not an image of God. The tabernacle was an image of how humanity could find God. The tabernacle was a place made with furniture. It was a place of function where people could have a relationship with God. It was not an image of God. Through the tabernacle, God does not have them craft an image of himself that can be seen. But the furniture was intended to lead them to a God whose presence was real. They were not to worship the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a function for them to know their God. It was a place to find God. God clearly told them in in the Ten Commandments right before he gives them the plan of the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 20, he said, I am the Lord your God, verse 2, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. He said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image 
any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is that in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." His intention with the tabernacle was not to create an image of himself. It was to create an opportunity for people to get to know him. Now contrast the tabernacle in the wilderness with the pagan gods around the children of Israel. The gods that they would have been familiar with in Egypt. How pitiful the tabernacle must have seemed. The pagans all had a God that they could worship. They could see it. They could worship it. It was made of stone. It was made of gold. It had an imposing place in the landscape of the area. While Moses was on the mountain with God, he was receiving instructions on how to build the tabernacle and and those things, the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel got anxious because they could not see God. And so what did they do? They built a golden calf. We'll build an image of God. We'll build something that we can see with our eyes that allows us to feel more secure in this life. And let me say today how quickly we can look for substitutes of a God we cannot see. How quickly we move from an experience in church to a mighty move of God of crossing the Red Sea to a moment where we can't make sense of what's going on. And so instead of being patient and waiting and realizing that God's presence is real, we start crafting things in our life that make us feel more secure. And so they created this golden calf All while God was revealing himself to Moses, and God was making it possible for people to know him. So quickly, we'll recap the tabernacle, three sections of the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. We pick up some things that God wanted them to know about him. God was revealing himself in the tabernacle, in the outer court with the bronze altar and the the bronze laver, the place that they could wash in. They had the altar where the sacrifices were done and they had the the water, the laver where they washed. They wanted to, they wanted, uh, God wanted them to understand something that he was holy. He was revealing himself in that first step into that ark or that that tabernacle. He wanted them to understand that he was holy. He was not like them. He was separate from them. And if they were going to approach him, they needed to understand that he was a holy God. But he wanted them to know who he was. And then they went into the holy place, the bread, the candlesticks, the altar of incense, It was an opportunity for the priest to begin to partake in the food and to partake in worship. And what I believe God was trying to reveal was that God is approachable, 
that God is approachable. Not only am I holy, but if you will cleanse yourself, if you will make the necessary sacrifice that I am approachable, you can come to me and you can dine with me and you can have a relationship with me. And so he invites them to move farther. And then finally, we realize that they enter into that holiest of holy place, the most holy place where sat the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And I believe God was revealing to them that not only was he a holy God and that he was approachable, but that he was a merciful God, that he would forgive their iniquities if they would approach him, if they would seek to know him the way that he needed to be known, that they could find the mercy that endures forever. And so we see that when God came to earth, the Bible says that the word became flesh. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago and tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory uh, as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he became the representation of that tabernacle that we have access now to God through Jesus Christ. And so Timothy would be told by Paul and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh and justified in the spirit and seen of angels and preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up into glory. That I believe that Jesus was showing us that he was a holy God. Jesus was sinless. He brought no no sin. He had no sin. And so he said, I'm holy. But what do we know about the life of Jesus? That he was approachable. The sinner could approach him. The Gentile could approach him. The Samaritan could approach him. The prostitute could approach him. The tax collector could approach him. And ultimately, what was his responsibility? Why did he come? So we could find mercy for our souls. He said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the reason I came, was so people could find salvation, not for their bodies, but for their souls, that he could save their souls from sin. I hope you know that today, the whole purpose of Jesus coming was so that God could be revealed, that God could be known to all of us. Oh, hallelujah. So why would God want us to know him? And here's what I feel so compelled to share with somebody today, because it's only when we know God that we will truly know ourselves. It's only when we know God that we will truly know ourselves. We cannot really know ourselves, and I might add, love ourselves, until we know God, that we know that he is holy, that he is approachable, and that he is merciful. When we understand who God is and we have a revelation of who God is, then and only then can I really understand why God created me and what God wants to do with my life. I feel like so many times, and I can say personally, that I chase things and I chase dreams and I chase 
all kinds of things in my life when I don't really have God in perspective, when I don't really have a relationship that's strong with him. I'll start reaching for other things. I'll start looking for other things. But when I begin to understand who he is and how much that he loves me, it's then and only then that I realize that I was created in his image. I was made with a purpose. Oh, hallelujah. And so Jesus came into the region in Matthew 16, 13. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? It's a pretty important question. Who do you say, who do the the people say that I am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some thought Jesus was a proclaimer of national repentance like John the Baptist. And some thought he was a famous worker of miracles like Elijah. And some thought Jesus was powerful when he spoke words like Jeremiah or the prophets. And as great as those people were in their own right, in reality, these answers undervalued who Jesus actually was. They had undervalued who Jesus was. Those were great people. They did great things. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? It was fine for the disciples to know what others thought about Jesus. But Jesus had to ask one more question. Who do you say that I am? And this is the question placed before all who hear of Jesus. We... Not he is judged by the answer. We ask the question, who do we say that he is? Do you know who Jesus is? And not just do you know who he is, but do you know him personally? And Simon answered the question he understood. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He hadn't just come to preach. He hadn't just come to perform miracles, but he had come to save. And Peter knew this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. Because you know who he is, you can know who you are. You are Peter. And on this rock, the knowledge of who Jesus is. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Because you know Jesus, you know who you are. It's only when we know God that we will truly know ourselves. We can't know God without surrendering everything to God. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That in order to be who we are supposed to be in this world, we have to know Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55, as I come to a close, Isaiah 55, verse 6, says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. We serve a God who wants to be known to us. He's done everything he can to be known to us. And he is holy, yet He is approachable, and he is merciful. And I hope you know that he knows you. I hope you know that today. And I hope that you know that he wants to know you. Would you stand with me this morning? Who you are, the person that is you, your identity, your desires, your things that make you who you are. Those I would submit, unless they are born of God, that's not who God wants you to be. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. It was Paul who stood on that hill with philosophers, who stood, and I've been there in Greece, and Athens, on Mars Hill, And what you see in the background is this massive temple. And when we walked up to that place, that what they call Mars Hill, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, would stand and he would speak to these philosophers, what is on the side leading up are all these different images. They're torn down. Of course, they're rubble. But it's where the images of gods and pagan worship were. And Paul stood up in this environment. And he said in Acts 17, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown 
God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. I want to make him known. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And he says this, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from anyone. God's desire is not to just have this relationship with you that he knows you. Great. I'm glad he knows you and I'm thankful that he knows me. But God's real intention, God's real intention is to reconcile humanity back to himself, to have relationship with him. And so he says that in order for that to happen, we have to seek him. He says, Paul said to them, for in him we live, we move, we have our being. For also some of your Poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul was telling them, you can't be who you're supposed to be unless you know Jesus Christ. For in him we really live, we really move, and we have our being. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. But that's not what our relationship with God is intended to be. So today, I want and I hope that you know that God so desperately wants a relationship with you. He died on the cross. I quoted it last week. While you were still a sinner, with everything he knew about you, everything he knew about your history, when you were yet unformed, he knew it all. And yet he said, I still want a relationship with you. And God wants us to know him. How do we know him? You've never repented of your sins. You can know him today by surrendering your life to him. I try every Sunday, I try every Sunday to tell people they need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins because that's how you have his name put on your life. If you want to know him, you need to be baptized in the saving name of Jesus Christ. And we need his spirit. If I'm really going to live and move in this world, I need his spirit alive and well in my life. And maybe you're, that's all and well, all well and good, and you, you've got all that checked off. I'm telling you today that we need to know him in a greater dimension through our devotion, through our prayer, through our fasting, 
We need to seek the Lord while he may be found. And I want to pray for us today. I want to pray for somebody today. Because I felt compelled to tell somebody that you can't be who you really are unless you know God. Unless you've surrendered everything to God. Who you were created to be, who you're supposed to be in this world is only going to happen when you surrender to the Lord. I feel the weight of the word of God today. I want to pray for you, Lord. I come to you today. God, we come thankful today. We come thankful knowing, knowing that you know everything about us. God, we're humbled by that. God, in some ways, we're terrified by that because you know our thoughts. You know our decisions. You know our motivations. And God, you saw all that. You knew all that. And yet you still came to save us from our sin. You came to provide mercy for us. But God, not just so we could say that we have mercy, you desire so much to have a relationship with every person that's in this room today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.